I don't believe in the visibility that doesn't come from depth and come from like true responsibility of like, I'm influencing. Like if we really look at that word, like I'm influencing people and I want to do that for good. So it's just how you, the power is how you see yourself and how you challenge yourself. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the I'm Lost, So What podcast. If you don't know, my name is Cassandra Lay, and I am super excited for you all to listen to this episode with my friend and former client, Isa. Isabella Sanchez Castaneda is the CEO and founder of Isa Media Inc., a digital marketing agency focused on the production and strategy of high converting podcasts for entrepreneurs. She uses her degree in communication, background in journalism, and love for marketing to support entrepreneurs as they grow and share the businesses they love. She is a proud Colombian American in the Philly area who is learning to unleash her petty Pisces energy more each day. Becoming a business owner for Isa has been filled with letting go of old identities while trying to discover new ones. And in this episode, we are talking all about what that actually looks like, visibility, confidence, Isa's bringing in her podcast tips, and we're even getting into self-advocacy and gosh, this, this conversation was just so, so heartwarming. So I'm excited to share it with you. Let's get into it. Hello, hello, everyone. I'm Cassandra Lay, and you're listening to I'm Lost, So What? The podcast exploring between belonging and carving your own path. For all the peeps out there who kind of know what you're doing, but still question, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, I'm with you. Hey, Isa, super excited to have you here. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me on. This is going to be a fun conversation. Um, I always feel like our conversations are fun. They go deep and then like talking about oppression and (laughs) all the things. So yeah. And also we we definitely bring that Pisces energy in. Um, so I love that. But let's just dive into it. The first question that I love asking guests on the podcast is, what does being lost mean to you? And can you describe the feeling of being lost? I think what being lost means to me is being in that space of being uncertain, like being just in the middle, in the thick of everything, and you're not quite sure if you're going to come out the other side the way you expected to. And so I think for me, that has really been exemplified by like my entrepreneurial journey and even just stumbling into entrepreneurship. I feel like it's constantly being lost, constantly saying, I actually have no idea what's going on. And I have to... I have to pretend that I do. And even the people who are like, oh, I'm keeping it real, keeping it raw over here. Like you can only keep it so real or so raw until you get to the point where you're messy and people don't want to pay you. So (laughs) it's like, yeah, like I think just being lost to me is just that uncertainty and not knowing if it's going to be worth it. Mm. So Mm, okay. Yeah. I I think the last thing that you said about like not knowing if it's going to be worth it is like a big thing as somebody who has also been stumbling my way through. And then also something that you said was like, oh yeah, everybody acts like they know, but you know, they don't really know. And I was just about to say like, do people really know or are they just kind of like doing the best that they can? And then I also think, especially in the online business space, a lot of people are like, I know you must follow me. And we've talked about this where things just sound so matter of fact. So it kind of like creates this feeling of shame around being lost. And I don't know, a lot of people who have also been guests on the podcast, they talk about the shame and then they also kind of talk about, oh, well, lost is like finding your own path. So it's like a duality of like suckiness. And then also, hmm, it's kind of cool. I get to kind of like do this on my own and like, I don't have to follow the rules. I don't know if you've had like the same experience. I don't know. I don't know if I would describe it as fun, like just in the sense, yeah, just in the sense. <laughs> yeah, let's of, keep it real. Yeah. Like I don't, I think it's just, it's so much uncertainty, at least in the context that we're speaking of it in, in entrepreneurship. But yeah. also I think that it's being lost and being uncertain in the world, like even as people hmm. and not to take it in that direction necessarily, but it's like, we are so used to kind of joking about the fact that we're approaching dystopia every day. 
I'm laughing, but this is not funny. Yeah. Like this thing of like, oh, I'm sick of living through unprecedented times. Yes. It's just like, we're all so lost. Like we're all kind of wondering where it is that we go. And yes, if you look back far enough in human history, like similar events have happened, but maybe not just in this conjunction in this specific way and to these specific people. And so I think we're all just really lost and we try to tell ourselves that it's fun, but most of us would prefer a path. Most of us would prefer some answers. Yeah. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. I think like, yes, I, I now would not trade entrepreneurship, but I'm not going to say that it's fun. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So that's very real. I have had like a lot of moments where I'm like, uh, should I apply for a full-time job? And sometimes I do apply. So all the people who are listening, and if you have been following the Quirky Pineapple Studio for a while, like we're going on six years of business and I will still apply for full-time jobs. They are the quick and easy apply on LinkedIn. So if I have to like type out anything or write a cover letter, I'm like, yeah, maybe not. Um, but I do apply to easy application LinkedIn full-time jobs just so you all know. Okay. So going from this feeling of being lost and like the uncertainty, and I want to talk about like visibility because specifically in the online space, we talk a lot about like showing up and like, you know, sharing your story and something that I have seen you share a lot with your clients is that your impact deserves to be shared, which I find is really important. Potentially it will relate back to this feeling of being lost mainly because like if somebody else is sharing their story, then maybe you don't feel so alone if they have like something similar. So what does this actually mean to you? This phrase, like your impact deserves to be shared. Yeah. So when I think of the the phrase, the tagline, your impact deserves to be shared. I often think of the conversation that I have with clients about them saying, I'm not interesting. What I do isn't special. What I am isn't worth talking about. And then I ask them like, okay, what is it that you help people do? What do you contribute to the lives of other people? And they're contributing such amazing things. They are changing lives in big and small ways. And they still don't see it as something worthy of talking about. Seeing They don't see it as something worth taking up space for and with. And so the tagline that I've used of your impact deserves to be shared is kind of to combat that of just like, one, to acknowledge the fact that you do have impact, that you are creating an impact in the lives of other people. Again, I'm specifically talking about it from the perspective of business owners, but we all in some way are impacting the lives of other people. And I think in the online space, we've gotten lost with the word impact because we're like impact-driven businesses and impact-driven women and things like that. But it really is just to create a positive change in the lives of other people. And then the second half of deserves to be shared is this thing of you are allowed to take up space. You are worthy of communicating to people that you've done this for others and can do this for them. And it's not something that you should necessarily hide just because it's something that comes naturally to you. And so it's just, I think, a reclamation of like, you can share what you do and you should. And there's nothing wrong with being really proud of who you are, what you do, and what you give to the world. Ooh, I love this, especially because with the Quirky Pineapple Studio, we also do like personal branding and thought leadership with our clients and they run into very, very similar situations and like challenges. Like a lot of the times they're looking for like that Cinderella story in their own experiences, because that's like the trope that has been played out a lot of the time. So they're like, okay, my story isn't, you know, interesting. My story isn't special. Like I'm just kind of doing the thing. But then I also think about like my everyday friends who aren't in business ownership or on entrepreneurship, aren't in the online space, aren't creators, and they've created massive impact in their own communities. And sometimes it just takes, you know, me asking like, oh, wow, well, what did you do? Like, how did people react after? What was it like? And they almost feel like bashful, I guess is like the best word to describe it because they're like, ah, it's, it's nothing. Like, you know, I just do this every day. And I really love like the second half of this tagline of like, you're in, it deserves to be shared. And what you were saying about, okay, you deserve to also take up space. Like 
You deserve to hype yourself up. Literally nobody else will unless you do it first and you can't expect other people to as well. Um, So going on more about like visibility and stuff, uh, before becoming a podcast producer, you worked and studied journalism. Well, you worked as a journalist and studied journalism. What is one of the biggest challenges you saw in journalism around visibility that applies to your work now? if they can be related? Because I know like journalism is a little bit different. Yes and no. I mean, I think I think it's interesting the way you phrase the question, but uh, the first thing that came to mind is just there's something that they teach you when you study journalism of like, if it bleeds, it leads. And that's the negativity is always going to be more eye-catching and more just scroll-stopping than anything else. And so we are often not used to seeing things in a positive light. We're not used to seeing stories about people in a positive light unless they are the absolute Cinderella stories where they're rags to riches and it's just like this Mm -hmm. extreme thing. And so I think that that also creates a bias in our mind of like, I have to be controversial. I have to be the best and the only and the number one always all the time or else I don't deserve Mm -hmm. to have the spotlight. And it's really interesting how that skews the perception of our content as well. Hmm. Um, On the other hand, I do think that from my experience being a journalist and studying journalism, that's where I really got the initial appreciation for everyone has a story. And like everyone has, if you ask them enough questions, everyone has something that they want to tell people Hmm. and that they are really looking for an opportunity to put it out there, but they often aren't given the opportunity or they don't take the opportunity. And the way that that's really translated is like, I'm able to see that it's just, it's, there's a story to uncover. And oftentimes we don't see it. It's not the most obvious thing. It's like the, I don't know, like the, the secret hero that's actually like the everyday person. And you're finally highlighting them in that one feature article in the magazine really being able to see like everyone has something there. You just have to ask them the right question. So I would say kind of that two-part answer of like, I think that oftentimes journalism skews our perception and and asks us to see negativity more than positivity. Mm. But at the heart of real journalism is like, you have so many stories to tell no matter where you are. Mm. Okay. So two follow-up questions to that. First one, because journalism kind of skews, I guess, like how we view things, what is an antidote you think to that like bias? And then I'll follow up on my other question after. I'm not sure. I think, right, like we're getting into the territory of we could have a whole podcast episode probably with people who are much more expert in journalism than I am about also how you know, money and the industry of yeah. news has has made us skew more negative. So I do think that it's just one of those things of like the money involved changes that. But how do we combat against that in terms of like everyday people or business owners? I would say highlighting more of the positive. And I don't mean in the sense of like that website called like good news. So there's there's this other saying in journalism of like you don't cover a news story about the plane landing you cover a news story about the plane crashing. Hmm. So it's this thing of like 99 planes can land in an hour, but the hundredth one crashes and we only cover that one and we ignore the 99. And it's like, how can we recognize the 99 a little bit more? Hmm. And maybe this isn't so much a conversation about content, but this could be a conversation just about the way that we think about things and see the world. And for myself as someone who's like a little anxious, hey, Right there with you. Like, (laughs) right? Like, allowing yourself to say, hey, there's 99 things went really well, and we're hyper fixated on the thing that went really wrong. And now bringing it back to content and this idea of your impact deserves to be shared. It's like, oftentimes we look at the nine, we look at the one thing that we did poorly, or we look at the one skill that we don't have. We look at the one client we couldn't help Mm. and somehow negate the 99 that we did help, the 99 skills that we do have, the 99 trials and experiments and experiences that we did have. And so I don't know if it's necessarily tied back to journalism, but just as a 
skewing, not even positive, but more neutral. It's like, Mm. look at the facts in front of you, which is you've probably done 99 things well. And it's only one thing in this moment that you're kind of hyper fixated on. Ooh, yes. And actually, I'm taking it to therapy. Hello. Uh, My therapist would be so happy. So I think I brought up something similar to her in a couple sessions ago where like I had like this the extreme case where I was just like down in the dumps all the time. And she basically said like the same thing, like we need to look for evidence really that like we've done amazing things. And this was just like an anomaly situation. That doesn't mean that you can't like kind of look at the situation and kind of see and like ask yourself like, what did I do? What like was my responsibility in kind of like arriving to the situation? Most of the time for me, it's not um, setting boundaries. Hello, I'm working on it. But that's kind of like, okay, I've learned from it. I, I know this was like an anomaly case, but look at like, well, what she says to me is like, look at all of the other amazing things that you've done. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, you're right. Like I'm not a shit. <laughs> I remember I told her, I was like, Sometimes I think I'm a loser. She's like, you did not just say say that to me in therapy. Uh, She's a good one. You're you're like, she's happy. She's getting to send another invoice. I'm kidding. She she was like, wow, let's unpack that in 10 more sessions. (laughs) Seriously. She's Um, like, what? Yeah, but I think it's, I think it's hard, right? Like I also, I'm not someone who believes in cancel culture in the sense of it's not actually as big of a threat as big name people make it out to be. But I do think that we are, we do live in an era specifically that it fixates on our mistakes, fixates Mm. on the missteps. And in some cases it's just, and in other cases, it's like a misunderstanding that went wrong. And so it's natural that our brain that's already primed towards negativity because of survival combined with always having a camera in our face, everything's always being recorded. Everything can be cut and misconstrued for us to hyper focus on the mistakes or the things that we could have done better. Yeah, that is a whole other conversation I think that I have explored in life coaching, but we'll save that for um, another day. Okay, the second question that I wanted to ask, which I don't even know if I remember now because I was like listening to your answers like, oh yeah, this is so good. Okay, well, I I can't remember it, but (laughs) if I do, I will come back to it. Okay, so around visibility and all of these things, what would you consider to be, I guess, the power of visibility though, and like putting yourself out there, whether that's like, if you are an entrepreneur, business owner, if you are a creator, if you're a personal brand, or if you're just like, um, I don't know, a regular person who's like living life, sharing their story or wanting to share more of their story or their message, or even just like the impact that they've had. What do you consider to be the power of it, especially for folks who have marginalized identities? I think this does tie back to your impact deserves to be shared. It has to start with you Mm. acknowledging that you have something worthy of sharing. And the like underline there is like, we all have something worthy of sharing, right? But to sit down and record something, to sit down and write something and put it out on a blog, to create a reel, no matter how shitty, even if it's a trending audio. And I know we love to shit on people for like using trending audios or for just copying. There's so few people who could actually say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to put it out and I'm going to expose myself to whatever other people have to say. Like that is a big deal. And you're really putting out there this message of, I have something that I think people should listen to. Hmm. And it's constant work to sit with yourself and say, yes, that's true. Like what I have to say is true. And what I have to say is worth sharing. And then the second part of that is, and if it's not, if I feel like it's not, how can I build the proof for myself to say that it is? And to give you an example of that, like what I I recently shared this on, on my podcast of, you know, it, sometimes I would post episodes that kind of were true, like kind of were, were things that I knew, but like, I only knew from like a textbook standpoint, like Mm. I only had read them in a book and I was trying to put them out, but then there's a very big difference between the episodes that I knew because I felt them like I embodied them. I had done mm. experience in them. And so it's, it's this thing of like, 
you're acknowledging visibility is acknowledging I have something worth saying and then also committing to yourself to continue to be the person who has something worth saying because I don't know why I'm thinking of like the people on TikTok who talk about like healing trauma but they have no sort of um background background or licensure or any sort of like Ayurvedic like like it doesn't matter it doesn't have to be a western license but like they don't have any sort of background and they're talking about very loudly about, Hey, I know how to heal trauma. And that's an instance where like, maybe they have something worth sharing, but they need to take a second to reflect on like my congruent with what I'm sharing. Am I sharing it in a safe way? So this is my answer has since gotten muddied, but the idea of like the power of visibility is really one. I think it's internal first. It's always internal first. It's always you saying I'm the person who is going to put myself out there and be visible. I'm going to make that intentional choice. And with that choice comes the responsibility of good visibility, of ethical visibility, of safe visibility, not safe in the sense of like comfort zone safe, but safe in terms of I am being responsible with what my audience is consuming because I put it out there. And so once that internal power, which is long and which is why we have so many conversations about imposter syndrome and so many conversations about influencers who, you know, rise to fame, but then turn out to be like not ready for it. Or they turn out to be lying about something. It's all these things is because like, it's that, that internal decision to be visible. is actually really deep and really scary. Hmm. And then I think the power what most people think about with visibility is the external power of visibility. Like, yes, yep. you're going to get more opportunities or you're going to be so much more out there that you're going to get new brand deals or you're going to get new mm-hmm. business or da da da. You're going to be known. You're going to be recognized. And like those external things are great to think about, but I don't believe in, at least for myself and for my clients, I don't believe in the visibility that doesn't come from depth and come from like true responsibility of like, I'm influencing, like, if we really look at that word, like I'm influencing people and I want to do that for good. So it's just how you, the power is how you see yourself and how you challenge yourself. Mm. Oh, I love it. Okay. So much to unpack there. Let me see if I can pull out some of these things. Okay. So the first one that you said was like committing to yourself. Uh, That actually leads me to this follow-up question that I've got, but I love the concept that you said about like committing to yourself, not just like to show up, but then I think all of the behind the scenes things that most people don't realize, like I can say I commit to myself to show up and post um, like five things on Instagram for the next week. Um, And that is yes, a commitment, but then also what you were saying too, about like really understanding the power and responsibility you now have chosen not really to take on because technically you've already you've always had that like you've always had this power and you've always had like technically this responsibility just as like a citizen of whatever country you're from or if you are a citizen of the world then you've kind of already had like that power and responsibility to show up and kind of just make the world a better place, whether you're an active or passive person in it, that is up to you. But um, I do think when you're deciding to get visible, it's now like you've, how do I say this? It's like you've become aware of that power and responsibility and you're like actively choosing to do something about it. Because once you decide to step out and get more visible, whether that's online or even just within your community, like let's say you decide to step up into a leadership position in like a volunteer program that you are part of, or you decide to step up in your community because you want to, I don't know, be an organizer for an event or something like that. Like that is actively one bringing consciousness to that power and responsibility. And then also, I think, just committing to yourself that, okay, I'm going to take this further than what I've already been doing. So on all of that, I want to dive into like the committing to yourself, specifically to something that you share around your podcast framework, which is committing to your concepts. And I would love to know what that actually means, of course, on the podcasting side, but then on like a human level, like what does committing to your concepts or yourself actually look like? Yeah. 
Um, so committing to your concepts is a framework that I use inside of my podcasting offers. And in that context, it means to look at what you use regularly in your business, uh, because I primarily work with business owners. What are the frameworks, the processes, the concepts, the philosophies that you use day in and day out with your clients that you are ready to fully stand behind and that you were ready to fully explain and say, I actually know what this is and I'm doing this with intention. The larger goal behind that though is to have people take a conscious approach to podcasting and a conscious approach to the content that they put out into the world. Because from personal experience, when I first started my podcast, it wasn't necessarily a conscious approach. And not that I was putting out anything dangerous or anything like intentionally ignorant, but it was just one of those things where I was like waking up, thinking of something and then putting it out there. And it was, it was what it was. Like, I don't think it was inherently bad, but it was me putting out ideas that weren't fully formed in my brain that if somebody were to come back to me and be like, explain to me episode five of your podcast and why you said what you said, I would be like, I have no idea. I just, it just fell out of my mouth. And I recognize the harm that that did to me in the sense of like, not actual harm. I didn't, again, I didn't get canceled. I didn't like say anything wild, but the harm that I did in terms of what the business reputation that I was building. So I wasn't being responsible for or careful with or intentional with what I wanted to be known for. And I, I want to clarify that it's not like a, a irresponsibility in like a negative way, but it was just like, it was so willy nilly. It was just like yeah. whatever would fall out of my mouth. And I think a lot of people approach content that way right now, especially like on TikTok where it's supposed to be such an off the cuff medium, mm -hmm. but you just like go and you have a thought and you immediately express it and there's no buffer in between. Mm, yeah. And I think that while that leads to some funny moments, it leads to some viral videos, it leads to some like good ideas, things like that. I think it also is just like so careless and, mm. and there's so much content nowadays. There's so much, like people are, we're just drowning in things to consume Yeah, that I really hold the standard now for myself and for my clients of committing to your concepts is if you're going to put it out on your podcast, maybe your social media is different, but like, if you're going to put it out on your podcast, I want it to be something that you can look back at and be like, at the time of that publication, I fully stood behind that. Hmm. I put my whole chest into saying that and I'm proud that I said it. Not, oh, that was just something that fell out of my mouth. Hmm. And so that's what committing to your concepts really is as a concept itself. And then as a framework, it's just maybe the way that we kind of flesh that out. But we are very rarely asked to stand behind what we say. Yeah. Because we're so used to just saying and saying and saying and saying. Yep. And then we're like, what the fuck did I just say? And I, I just, you know, I just recorded um, my 100th episode. Congrats, by the way. Thank you. But like part of me, part of me is so like not celebrating that milestone because 60 of those episodes were just like word vomit mm. and other people love them. Like I, that's why I'm very careful of not taking away what the merit of what it was. But like those six episodes weren't crafted and intentional and committed the later, like 35 or so, I sat down and I scripted. Even if I didn't take as much time as I would have loved to, I sat down and I set up a fancy microphone and I put lights up. And there was so much curation in the process that I'm like, I stand behind that episode. I mm. knew what I was saying during that. I put it together rather than just like, oh, it's this thing I said the other day. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Love this. There's something that I wanted to touch on. Um, I think. Yes, totally agree. There's so much fucking content right now. I love content. You know, like I've been creating content uh, since I was 13 years old. So it's been like almost 20 years. Just gave my age away. Um, <laughs> so now y'all know. But the I think the art of like digital content creation has changed so drastically. And something that I always talk about um, with our clients with like personal branding and like thought leadership is a lot of the times, like 
And this kind of goes back to like the journalism thing too. Like if it bleeds, it bleeds. I've never heard that before, but I, it's going to stick with me. It's very visual actually, that, <laughs> that whole thing. But a lot of people think, oh, I need to pull like a controversial story out so that I can get views or I need to pull like trauma. And I think I talked about this in season one in one of uh, the episodes. I'll have to see which one it was, but like trauma porn um, for content. And what you're basically doing is airing out your dirty laundry. And if that's like what you want to do and you can stand like kind of what Issa was saying earlier, like if you can stand behind that later on, by all means, like I'm not here to like content police you. But a lot of the times, like when you're going through that process, like you don't have like the space that you need to fully process, like what you just went through, what your feelings or emotions were, what like your responsibility was in it, or what the other person's responsibility, if it's like a two person, three person thing, you're basically just kind of like, digging and mining your life for content or stories at this point to get some sort of like external validation for it or not even validation. It could be like, if you're a business owner, external, I mean, sales, like I remember back in the day, um, maybe this was like 2018 at this point, 2017, 2018, I had worked with uh, some mentors that told me, oh my gosh, like when I cried doing my Facebook live, that was like the most engaged piece of content ever. And afterwards I made four sales. So I'm in like, they said that. And then afterwards they were like, I'm not saying cry on a Facebook live, but like, you got to get real. You got to get like super real and you got to like put yourself out there and you got to like keep it raw. And yes, I'm all for like keeping it real, keeping it raw. Not totally sure. That's, you know, safe sex y'all. Um, if you want to take it, <laughs> I see your face right now. I'm he said dead. like, Oh my gosh. I'm dead. <laughs> No, I I agree with you so much, though, because I think like we've turned authenticity into a buzzword. And I'm not the first person to say this in the online space at all. Yeah, it's like oversharing is not authenticity. Mm. Rawness is not authenticity. It's it's I used to say and I do have an episode that I did, you know, spit out of my mouth, but it was still good. It's this whole idea of like, I don't want to bleed all over the Internet. Mm. Like, I don't. I don't need to. And I think I've over time, it's just been so interesting. Over time, I've become more and more private about my personal life and the personal things that I'm processing in my content, on my podcast, everything. Because I'm just like, why do y'all need to know that? Mm, like, why? Yes. What is the point? And like, there's a difference between sharing my story or like how in Christian spaces, people would say like sharing your testimony mm. versus me just like not having anything worthwhile to say about my expertise. So I'm going to tell you about like how I cried on Saturday. Like it's just, it's so, and, and I don't blame people for doing it because I do think that that's what we see going back to the journalism thing. That's yeah. what we see felt. We see the the viral video of the girl crying. We see the video of like the people pranking their partner and it turning into this big fight. And so we're like, oh my God, I got to do the same thing. Or we see those things being rewarded. So we just try to do the things that are going to be rewarded. But going back to the committing to yourself part, it's like, well, what am I going to be proud of mm. to put out? And what am I going to enjoy putting out there? And to me, this actually ties back to another thing of like this... Uh, trauma porn, this oversharing is actually, it can be easier for some people yeah. than putting effort into doing something well. Mm. And what I, I want to add nuance to that is like, I'm not saying that vulnerability is easy. Vulnerability, genuine vulnerability, where you are sharing yourself intentionally in a way that protects you and the person receiving the message that is brave. That is courageous. That is, Ooh, I just got goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. But the, but going online and saying, this is the story of how I almost died and I almost took everyone with me and there's no sort of trigger warning and there's no sort of like anything. You just want attention. That is, I think a betrayal to yourself and a betrayal to your audience. Yeah. And maybe in that moment you're, you are doing it because someone else told you to, or because you didn't know what else to do. But that's not something that I think you will be able to stand behind a year from now. And like, 
there's just so much reconciliation of those icky feelings that mm-hmm. happen. Yeah. Okay. So from that, because I feel like we got to, I want to know what does then committing to your concepts look like? What is it? How can it be applied to just like us as humans, not us as like business owners, entrepreneurs, content creators, personal brands, thought leaders, like just you and me, like me, Cassandra, you, Isa. I have no titles. I have no business. Like what would like committing to my concepts or to myself really look like? And I love that you also mentioned like sometimes when you are like going out there and just trying to be authentic and the vulnerable that is quote unquote vulnerable, you betray yourself in the process. So yeah, I I would love to know what that means or looks like for you. So I wouldn't say that committing to your concepts applies to us as humans, just because the idea of having a concept and having a framework and having a philosophy feels very commercial. Like it's very, it's, it's intentionally meant to be packaged and sold, which is why it's a concept and why I use it with entrepreneurs. I had a conversation in therapy where it was like, I used to be an oversharer in my personal life. So I used to be someone who took a lot of pride in whenever I meet someone, like we don't have any small talk. We get right into our deepest, darkest secrets. And I used to be able to like say, you know, you know, that kind of thing of like, oh my gosh, I have the deepest conversations even with the strangers on the bus. Mm, yeah. And I had, I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly how it was brought up to me, but it was like, that's actually a way that's actually a protection mechanism Mm. where it's actually something that you don't believe that people would genuinely like who you are and would want to cultivate a relationship with you over time. So you think that if I just put everything out on the table, the first time they meet me, they can just reject me right then and there. This thing of oversharing, not because I was honoring the value of my story, not because I was honoring the power of me sharing my truest self, but because I was actually just trying to like get it over with. Mm. And it was so interesting to have it framed in that way. And then connecting it back to content, right. Of like, what does it mean for you to honor what you've been through in a way that isn't for public consumption when it hasn't been earned? It's this thing of like, and and what I had in that therapeutic conversation was like, do you understand that someone hearing that story of yours is a privilege? Yeah. That you opening up to someone is a privilege, not something that should be just given away. And so, so I think when you think of that, it's not about committing to your concepts. It's not about packaging up an ideal. It's not about never being able to change your mind. It's more about like, have you thought through why you're sharing what you're sharing and to whom you're sharing it in that specific context. Mm. Oh my gosh. I love, love, love this. And something that you were like, when you were talking, I was imagining, like, I don't know if you did this um, back in middle school, I had acne and wow, we're taking it all the way back to like my teenage angst Tumblr years right now. Um, Okay. So back in middle school, I had acne and I think something that I always did Uh, maybe not to my friends, but maybe to like the popular crowd, I would say like, oh my gosh, like, oh, this pimple is like bothering me. Like I would always point out the pimple first. And I feel like, I mean, pointing out your pimple is not the same thing as like oversharing your story, but like, it's like the same. It's like you trying to say like, I'm going to get me first. Yes. Which kind of is sad in a way because it's like, well, maybe they didn't even notice or I'm talking about the pimple, but then also sad because it's like, you didn't give the person a chance either to get to know you. Like you've robbed the opportunity of like true deep connection. And I mean, we're talking about the pimple right now, but like in other situations too, like if you're trying to get yourself first, which actually goes into this question that I had for you about self-sabotage, when we try and like self-sabotage in these situations, it does rob somebody the opportunity or if we're talking about like personal human connection, yes. And then also if we want to take it to content or like business, it robs them of 
potentially working with you and like receiving the transformation that only maybe you could help them with or the support that only you could give them and what they absolutely fully truly needed at this moment in time in their business. Yeah. A friend of mine and I always talk about, at least in the past few months, we've been talking about how if you frame people pleasing as actually being emotionally untrustworthy, Ooh, okay. Stop people pleasing. Because the thing is, if I, so let's go with the middle school pimple example. If I am always saying like, oh my gosh, the pimple, <laughs> like it, and you're like, it's fine. He, and like, or whatever, or in middle school, you tried to pretend that you liked everything that the, that the popular girls did and you wore the same clothes as them, even though you hated it, or you told them that you watched the same TV show, even though you didn't, because you were trying to get them to like you for the version you think they would like, that is being emotionally untrustworthy because they can't trust that you will be your fullest self. Mm. And they can't trust that anything that you say is true. Mm. And so when we take that now into adulthood, right? Of like people pleasing of you don't tell your friend that you didn't want to go to that restaurant. You go along with it and then you feel resentful. Now they can't trust your yes or your no, because yeah. they don't understand if your yes was a genuine wholehearted yes, or if it was just you going along with it. Hmm. Now, just to connect it to content. And I love that we're like separating the two, but kind of going between the two. Yeah. So, so combined, but with content is if you're trying to people please in your content, you're being emotionally untrustworthy with your audience in that they can't really know if you believe what you say you believe. Mm -hmm. And if, if the things that you put out there are really genuine to you and your brand and how it's going to be like to work with you. And so they now don't know what they're getting and you're actually doing them a bigger disservice by having them buy from you when they don't actually know what your brand is about because they can't trust that you're going to be honest. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. I was just thinking about like manipulative marketing, but that is like a whole conversation for another day. Um, okay. So I, I love this. And I, I will say just with, oh, that, with manipulative marketing is like, I know that we have in the past few years really like to say like, oh, it's, we're not bro marketers. We're not like doing X, Y, Z. But here's the one thing is that bro marketers have never, not never, but most bro marketers are not hiding their tactics. They're not love bombing you. And I've seen actually the people who are trying to do the opposite and say, I'm not a bro marketer actually then go in and be like, I'm trying to be your friend connection over dollars. Like I'm trying to be your friend before you pay me. It's like, no, you're not. And actually you going through the trouble of trying to have a conversation with me through the DMS about my dog or about Starbucks, just so that you can pitch me is gross and dirtier. Mm. And if you just walked in and been like, Hey babe, trying to buy from you or trying to get you to buy from me. Do you want it or not? Yeah. And so it, it's one of those things where I actually, I'm like, I prefer the bro marketer who's just going to tell me that they're selling me something versus the, the person who's like, I'm not that I'm, I'm attraction based. I'm just going to talk to you about Starbucks until I wear you down enough for you to pay me. Yeah. And then make you feel guilty because we're besties now. What do you mean? You're not going to join my mastermind. Oh my gosh. So actually the entire time that you were explaining this, I literally was imagining Regina George from Mean Girls. And for the people who have seen it, then you'll know what I'm about to say. But if you haven't, then you just won't. Or you might, I don't know. You might know the memes. But there's a scene in the movie where she looks at Caddy, where there's like another girl, she's wearing a skirt. And she tells this girl, Regina George, oh my gosh, your skirt is so cute. Where'd you get it? And the girl was like, oh, well, it's from my mom. It's vintage, blah, blah, blah. And then the girl walks away and then she looks at Caddy, who is Lindsay Lohan's character. And she goes, that is the ugliest skirt I have ever seen in my entire life. But she's like playing nice because of course she wants to maintain her like bad bitch, top dog status. And everybody wants to be Regina George. But that's like the exact same thing almost. Later in the movie, Caddy, like she compliments her bracelet. Yeah. And Caddy immediately knows like, oh, she's lying. Yep. And so it's this thing of just like, we're kind of doing the same thing in the online space. And it's, it's, and this has actually come up, not that this is necessarily our focus, but like I very plainly say that my podcast is to make sales now. Mm. Like, since I made a shift in my business, 
I say it's a sales focused podcast. It's something that's meant to turn listeners into buyers. I'm actively selling you something every single episode. And I never hide that Mm. because at the end of the day, I am in business for a reason. And if I sit here and go, I just want everyone to be so happy and in love and la 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 la. But then I'm in the back end being like, but why won't you buy my stuff? Mm -hmm. Like I'm being dishonest. Yeah. And I've gotten some pushback on like, well, if it's a sales focused podcast, there's no community. And I'm like, yeah, because I have a community of people. I have friends, I have support systems. I have business friends. I have business acquaintances who I'm genuine and honest with. And I'm genuine and honest with my clients, but the relationship is what the relationship is. Yeah. And like, it's just, it's really interesting that the online space tries to blur that line so much. Cause like my doctor does not pretend to be my friend. He will send me the invoice. Yes. My plumber, my plumber comes in, does a job and leave. Like he's not trying to be my friend. He's not coming and being like, Hey girl, your bathroom is so cute. Have you checked your pipes though? No, he's just going, <laughs> Could you imagine? you're leaking. Like, and it's just, and, and, and I appreciate that. Just tell me that you're selling me something. If I want it, I want it. If I don't, I don't. Yeah. Which so taking this from like adding a little bit of nuance to this, because I, I mean, we worked together and I do consider us friends. I would hope that you say the same. Don't say it on this podcast if we're not. Uh, Text me later. (laughs) Gosh, public embarrassment if it's a no. Um, But I was just thinking like my parents, so they owned a spa for 20 plus years and they had like a very similar relationship to what you were just describing. Like my mom, hard, cold sales, but that doesn't mean that like she's not personable with it. So she did do this thing where like, like she knew her position in the relationship was to make the sale. And the clients that we had at the spa knew that my mom was trying to sell. Yes. She like, you know, went on of her way to be like a little bit more kind. If somebody said that they really love these cookies that we got from H Mart uh, for the, all the people who aren't from the United States, uh, that is mostly a Korean supermarket. So they sell like Korean food ingredients and I think other things, they even have like a food court in there, but we bought these like cookies from H Mart that like one of the clients who is white really, really liked. And she, the client I remember one day was like, where'd you get these cookies from? This is a little bit of a rant. So y'all just stick with me. Um, So she was like, where'd you get these cookies from? My mom was like, oh, I went to H Mart. It's in this part of the city, blah, blah, blah. And knowing my mom was like... Mm, I don't know if this woman is going to walk into an H Mart and know where to get these cookies. So the next time we went to H Mart, my mom just bought like an extra pack and gave it to her. Yes. That's not like trying to be your friend and like always talking to you about like Starbucks. Cause like at the end of the day, she just had like a great relationship with this person. But also my mom was a business person, a business owner, a businesswoman, a salesperson, and she knew, okay, well. Also, this person maybe will spend more, but not in like that manipulative, oh, my mom's going to go out and like make friends with everybody. I don't know. It's like... And I think that the nuance here though, the nuance is I'm not telling anyone, and I want to be clear, like I'm not telling anyone, you know, never DM a person, never become friends with a person, never like this kind of stuff. It's more the being a fake friend in order to get someone to buy. Yeah. So... And I really think this is a conversation about boundaries in the sense of, yes, we are friends, but during the the months that we were working together doing regular calls, it's not like I would call you and we would have a, a friend conversation and I'd be like, yo, by the way, like my content though, can you check it? Like yeah. go on Google Docs right now. Like there was still an understanding of like, when are we friends and when are we in business yep. mode? And it's really interesting because the online space does really blur those lines. Mm. And it's like, oh, I thought we were going out to lunch or we were having a call about like, maybe we are talking about our feelings around business, but we're not necessarily expecting coaching from one another or we're not expecting service. And so yep. I have I have friends who have become clients and they still have a contract. And I have clients who have become friends and they still have a contract. Yep. They know. And it's also up to me to establish that like, you have a 90 minute call with me. And during that 90 minute call, we're going to talk about your podcast and any other time that you text me, any other time that you're on the phone with me, we can be like, your podcast is cool, but I'm not going to sit there and review one of your episodes. 
Yep. And that's emotional honesty though. Yeah. Because if instead I, I hated this and I, it hasn't happened to me recently, but like sometimes I would get people in my DMs being like, let me know if you have any questions about content. Like I'm more than happy to help. And then you come in and you're like, oh, hey, you offered that. Like, here's my question. And they go, oh, 99 or like 997 to get into the container. I only answer questions in there. Mm. And it's like, then from the beginning, you shouldn't have been like any question just ask. You should have been like, hey, would love to keep chatting. If you do have questions about content, I'm going to keep that for my paying clients. I hope you understand. Yeah. Let's just be for real. We all have bills to pay. Yeah. So it's just a conversation about boundaries. I'm not saying that like you can never do that. And I believe in going the extra mile for your clients. I believe in like, Hey, if, if you tell me that it's impossible for you to find the microphone that I have here in the U S because you're in Spain and you were a client of mine for podcasting, I'd be like, okay, let's make this happen. Let's go the extra mile for your client. But if you weren't my client and that wasn't a thing that we were open to doing in friendship, like let's also not expect that. Mm, Yes. So this is going into such a great conversation because, and I have more questions for you, but I want to like continue talking about this for a little bit more. Something for all the people who like want to become a creator or a personal brand, business owner, entrepreneur, whatever, something, how do I want to say this? So something that I see a lot is like, you can't expect your friends to be clients. First thing first. I do feel like sometimes that gets into like blurred territory where like everybody's feelings get hurt. And then there's a lot of resentment that gets filled up. I've gone through it. You just got to, what Isa was saying, like make it really clear from the beginning. But then also if this is for all the people who are friends of people who are business owners, are entrepreneurs, are creators, are personal brands, like you... This might be coming from a little bit of a sassy point of view, but like, I do think that if you kind of want to enter into that realm, you also have to be mindful that like this person is doing this as their job and, or this person is trying to do this as their job so that they can get paid, which means that this person probably invested their time, energy, and hard earned money into like development programs so that they can figure out how to do this. Um, That does not mean that you get to ask really for free. Like, oh, can you help me with this? And because like we're BFFs, I'm just going to like lay it all down for you. I do think like that is also, it kind of goes both ways, you know, like you can't expect your friends to be your clients all the time. And then also if you are the friend of somebody who runs a business, like you can't expect them to give it to you for free. Yeah. And I really think it's just a matter of like, you can't over communicate. Like, it's just, yeah. you just need to be like, Hey, I'm giving you this, but you need to give me this in exchange. You're like, Hey, I'm only giving you half an hour. I think going back to the emotional honesty thing, like if you're inviting someone to lunch and you, you think that, that, that paying for their lunch is equivalent to a pick my brain session. Tell me that, tell me that you're inviting me to lunch because you want to hear my opinion about business. Don't tell me that you're inviting me to lunch to like catch up with me. And then the only thing you do is pester me with like business questions. And, and and there's nothing wrong with like saying, Hey, can I invite you to lunch and pick your brain? Because then that way I have the full ability to consent. Yeah. Gosh, even you just saying that, um, it reminds me of like way back in the day when I first started business. And I think a lot of people in my network and maybe they didn't know. So, you know, and I also didn't fully communicate, but like, I do feel like it like actually brought out a visceral reaction of, oh, I'm going to say no for real, like as quick as possible, because I don't know, I maybe there's like some things for me to work out in therapy around that. But I'm like, a lunch, bitch, like that is not enough. Like you better be buying me like a full buffet, all you can eat Korean barbecue lunch, which is like $50, um, not like a sandwich at Panera. Right. And there's room to be generous. Like I don't want it to sound like, oh my God, I'm so much better than everyone. Like my information is hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like there's room to be generous, but no, like I, I really do think though, coming from a personal responsibility standpoint, like it's also up to us to be like, Hey, I'm not cool with that. Like, or, or even saying like, yeah, I would love your invitation to lunch, but I want to really have a break from business conversation during that time. Um, And being pro, like being proactive and communicative on all sides so that there's, there's not that people pleasing because the other thing is going back to that, like sometimes you get to the lunch, you realize it's a pick my brain session for a Panera sandwich and 
you go along with it instead of saying, hey, I actually really wanted to catch up with you as a friend. And I thought that this was a genuine invitation. Can you, you know, can we work something out here? Yeah. And being honest about it. And then just because we've kind of been flip-flopping, like going to content, in your content, be straight up. Yeah. You are not interested in people. Like, I'm not saying do the whole like, no DMs. Like, don't do that. But if someone comes into your DM, slides in hot and is like, hey, can you give me these tips? Know whether or not you're going to give it to them with no expectations. Mm -hmm. If you're going to give me tips in the DMs and then hold me to buying from you, like, don't give me the tips at all. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I love this. Um, I feel like this could be a whole conversation within itself. Something that you were like when you were explaining all of this, it just reminded me of the vulnerability aspect because like we were talking about vulnerability and authenticity and all that stuff. And like, yes, I think you said it's emotional trustworthiness, right? To people please is to be emotionally untrustworthy. To be emotionally trustworthy is to be Honest, honest, communicative, like real. So this is something that I've been exploring in therapy, just like within my own journaling. And that's that when you have emotional trustworthiness, it really personally, I think, um, puts you in a place to be like super duper duper vulnerable because you're actually like expressing how you feel Uh, something that I struggle with. So these are like, now y'all know my conversations in therapy, but something that I struggle with, like really saying in the moment, like, hey, that hurt me. And like laying it out for the person and then detaching yourself from the expectation of how they could react. And this goes more so in my personal relationships than like with clients or like followers on Instagram or anything like that. Because like, I mean, it's, it's a big deal to kind of just like lay it all out and vulnerably and honestly be like, Hey, no, I, I thought this was like a real friend lunch. Like I didn't want to talk about business and I actually feel hurt a little bit because I might have misunderstood. And that is like, Ooh, scary. And even when we, like, if we want to take it back to content, like honestly, even saying like, Hey y'all, the content that I share is stuff that I feel, which is something I think I said in season one, like some things that I feel really comfortable sharing, things that I've worked on. When you all ask me like really personal questions that like breaches my boundaries because these are parts of me that I don't want to give to you. And not in like a oh, I'm like over here and, you know, I'm a little bit cooler than you are. So I'm not going to, you know, it's only for my inner circle. No, like these are real things that like, I just want to keep to myself. Like I don't need to give to you, which is scary. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in in all of those pieces, it really comes down to self-advocacy. And I had a conversation with a client actually very similar to this, where she would message me and, and say, Hey, your and this was like this happened like twice where she was like hey the way that i have my schedule laid out right now the your call availability i can make it work but it would really be so helpful if we could just push the call by half an hour and go past five and what i told myself is i saw this on a reel one time which was people specifically clients clients are allowed to ask for anything and i'm allowed to say no to anything mm-hmm. and it's both people are allowed to do it all And then the expectation is like, and then we have a conversation about it, right? Yeah. Because some people, and I've seen this, like, especially as you scale, some people are like, how dare clients not honor my availability? How dare clients not honor my process? How dare clients not do X, Y, and Z? And then it's like, no, they're just, they're allowed to ask the question and I'm allowed to have a response. So with this client, I said, yes. And then it happened again. And I, I really pulled her aside and was like, hey, I really appreciate how willing you are to advocate for yourself and what you need. Hmm. And, and it was also, it wasn't just the timing thing. It was that she's neurodivergent. And so she really had a hard time like writing everything down. She wanted to talk it out loud. And so she asked me if that was something that I could accommodate. And I said, absolutely. But I wouldn't have known that she needed and wanted that accommodation had she not advocated for herself. Mm-hmm. So when I pulled her aside and I said, hey, thank you so much for advocating for yourself because I now don't have to worry that you are secretly resenting working with me 
or that you are having a need unmet that you can't communicate. I now trust that if something comes up, you will address it. And that has created a client relationship where I'm able to be like, does this work? And I know that her answer is going to be real. Yeah. And you can take that example into everything else. Yeah. Like your ability to say, hey, I'm actually not cool with this conversation makes it so that there's no secret resentments and there's none of that. But it takes so much effort and ability to be like, I'm worth advocating for Mm. and being like, if I need an accommodation, I deserve it. And don't deserve it in terms of entitlement. Like I'm not, I don't deserve your time unlimitedly, right? Like this client wasn't asking for more than 90 minutes. She was simply saying, Hey, can we just shift that 90 minutes? And she was also okay with me saying no, but that ability to ask that ability to say, Hey, this is something that I need. it, It like, she had to first say, Hey, I actually deserve this accommodation. Yeah. And so I celebrate people when they do that, whether it's clients or friends, because I know how hard it is. Mm. And the reason that most people don't do it is because they're not celebrated when they do it. They're called a problem. They're told that they are annoying. They're told that they are crossing. They're like, how dare you? Like, how dare you ask for that? When instead it's like, everyone has the full right to ask and everyone has the full right to say no. Yep. And when you can keep those two things in mind, then self-advocacy doesn't have to be this terrifying thing. Yeah. And I, I love, 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 love everything that you're saying. And it just reminds me that like, we really do live in duality of yes, everyone can ask. And also you can say no. And then the conversation for like, whatever it is, whether it's clients, brand deals. It could be with your friend. It could be with your partner, whomever. Um, That's where you get to like create in that like twilight zone that I've talked about on this podcast of like, that's where the magic really happens because then you get to create something totally new than what you both were kind of like functioning, working on um, before. You get to create something even deeper. You get to create like this whole other opportunity or possibility of how you both show up in the relationship, which I think is amazing. Okay. So I know we could talk about like all of these things even further, but I want to do some rapid fire questions about podcasting and then we will wrap it up. Okay. So rapid fire questions quickly. What is a piece of advice that you would share for people who are starting a podcast, optimizing their podcast or already doing awesome yet they are getting kind of bored? Following the vein of everything we've been talking about, (laughs) commit to your concepts. Choose a topic that you can go really deep in and still stand behind. Something that you're confident speaking in and will still challenge you a little bit. Uh, But again, that that piece of like, it's something that you're going to speak about with um, rather than just like whatever you can think of that day. Love it. Is that the same for the optimizing podcast and then already doing awesome yet knowing they're kind of getting bored? Yeah. So I think that the right? Like the way I would nuance that is like, if you're just starting, start that way. Mm. If you're someone who's optimizing, it's like, I'm going to bet you that you've put out some episodes where you were just like, I just need to make sure I have an episode this week. Like you weren't doing it with intention and then getting bored. I would say getting bored is usually like, you're not like that challenge piece. Like you're not challenging yourself to go deeper, to do better, to script a little more or to think of a new way to come up, to talk about the same thing. But you're more able to do all of that when you're like, okay, I know the sandbox that I'm playing in. Mm, Love that. Love that. So for all the people who are potentially thinking about starting a podcast, optimizing their podcast, or you're already doing awesome, but you're getting bored, uh, commit to your concepts. Literally what we were talking about um, throughout this entire episode. Okay. Last question before all the last questions. Is there a nuanced conversation that you think we're not having enough of? I think we just had so many on this episode. I know. Right? But for my online service providers and entrepreneurs, specifically growing their business through Instagram, I think that conversation of like, where are your boundaries? Where are the lines around your content? What is necessary to share and what's not? Like that nuanced conversation is just one that we can't have enough Hmm. because we need to be able to exist and create content without selling our souls. Love that. And then for the humans who are listening. (laughs) Oh, for the humans. Um, (laughs) For the humans. I think, I think then it's the same thing of like, how can you build connection? Maybe not with an audience, but how can you build a connection with your community, with one-to-one friends, with partners, with work friendships 
that are true and feel really good to you and still honor where you're at in life, which means advocating for yourself, having boundaries, knowing what you do want to share with which people at what time and being able to honor that in all instances. I love it. Um, Thank you, Isa, for sharing all of that. I love this conversation. So to wrap this up, I love ending um, each episode with a journaling prompt, exploratory question or activity uh, for people to explore more. Do you have like a journaling prompt or an exploratory question activity that you can share with folks? Yeah. So I'll do two prompts. Okay. The different parts of our conversation. So based on the latter half, we'll start backwards. Where in your life could you be more emotionally honest through self-advocacy? So where, and that can look like asking yourself, where do you need to set a boundary? Where do you need to ask for an accommodation? Where do you need to re-explore the dynamic of a relationship? Maybe it was one thing and now you want it to be something else, whether that's more or less. Where can you explore emotional honesty through self-advocacy? And then going back to the beginning of the conversation, really, what does the responsibility that comes with visibility mean to you? Mm, Oh, uh, such good journaling prompts. I'm going to have to talk about these in therapy. Anyways, um, okay, Isa, thank you so, so much for being here. It has been such a pleasure to have this conversation with you. I feel like we've chatted in business, we've chatted as friends, and now I feel like I just get to know you a little bit more. Can you share if you have anything that you're excited about in the upcoming months and where people can reach you? Yes, absolutely. So what I'm excited about, I'm really excited about my podcast having just hit 100. It'll be a little bit further than that by the time this comes out. So you can find my show Visible with Issa Media Inc. on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Like I mentioned, it's going to be a lot about podcasting and visibility and marketing with little bits and pieces of myself when I feel comfortable. And then I'm also really excited because I'm launching a group program for any folks who are starting their podcast for the first time and want to start it in a way that really honors who they are, but positions them as an expert at the same time. And it'll be 12 weeks. The first cohort will start in October. So if you're listening to this after that, uh, there will be more cohorts. So you can find all that information on isamediainc.com, I-S-A-Media-I-N-C.com. And yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, This was amazing. Uh, For all the people who are listening, I hope you take some time to potentially re-listen to this episode because I feel like there were so many good things in there. Thank you so much. If you want to continue the conversation, you can send me a DM on Instagram at Cassandra T-L-E. But other than that, I will talk to you all in the next episode. Stay fierce, fam. If you're hearing this message, that means you made it to the end of this episode. Yay! Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and thought to yourself, whoa, it me, I'd love if you could share this with others, post about it on social media, and or leave a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe too. Want to hang out with me in other areas of the internet? You can follow me on Instagram at Cassandra T-L-E. For brand message and content marketing tips and resources, check out my business at The Quirky Pineapple Studio. Thanks again and see you in the next episode. Stay fierce, fam.